Well, this has been uh, a day that has actually brought me a certain measure of joy, even beyond what I was anticipating. I, as we were going to come back and do this service live again, we've been through so many different versions of what we're doing, but to get a little taste today, again, of the joy of fellowship uh, with Patricia and with Jennifer and Will and Vince and the rest of the AV team back in their places. Now, now Julie and Jeremy, I, I get to see you all uh, every week anyway. It's, it's good, but it's not new. And, uh, but I'm reminded it's a foretaste of the joy we experience in this place when the seats are filled with the ones we love. And I look forward to that day. It's been even, even sweeter than I was expecting. And so as we gather here today, and as you gather where you are today, we still feel some of that separation. But I want to come today with an encouraging word. I have an encouraging word for you today, despite the pandemic, despite the, the strife in our nation, despite the potential tropical visitations we might get in the next couple of days, although it doesn't look like it's going to be too bad. Despite all of that, I come today with an encouraging word, and this is that word. God is near to you. A story. Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. So we're jumping in here. This is a longer story. We're jumping in at a point and and we hear of a young man who's traveling and he stops for the night and lays his head on a stone. Why is he traveling? Where is he going? What is happening here? Well, if we had taken time to read the story leading up to this point, you would see that the thing that has driven him to this journey is family strife. I don't know how much reflecting you've done on the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and on their family scenarios, but, but I think if you will reflect particularly on the story of Isaac and Rebekah, you'll see that it wasn't always really fun in the home of Isaac and Rebekah. Now, maybe when you think about patriarchs or people whose name is mentioned, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they must have had everything right. Everything must have gone well. Well, you're not really reading the story if that's how you see it. My take is things weren't very fun in that household. You see, there was trouble that went way back, but let's just go back to the point where, where the twins, Jacob and Esau, were in the womb of their mother, and they were causing their mother distress before they were even born. And she cried out, and the Lord said, it is because there are two nations in your womb, and they are striving with each other. 
Well, you can imagine what that turned into once these boys were born. And another thing that didn't help in this scenario is there seems to be a significant lack of unity between Isaac and Rebekah, particularly when it came to the kids. Seems like Isaac kind of favored Esau and Rebekah favored Jacob. It's a pretty good formula for family strife, isn't it? And it didn't help that, the, that, that uh, Jacob had, had, well, I don't know you'd say tricked, but had, had made a deal with Esau. You see, they were always wrestling over this notion of the birthright, and that technically was to go to the one that was born first, but here they are, both twins together. Which one's really older? Jacob, he wanted that birthright. And as things went on, there was even strife with in-laws. You see, Esau had married uh, a couple wives from the women of the area, and the Bible says that uh, they caused no end of strife for Rebekah. Things were not very fun in that household. And now things have come to a breaking point because Rebekah and Jacob have deceived Isaac, and Isaac has given to Jacob the blessing he meant to give to Esau. And the stress has grown up to the point where Rebekah learns that her son Esau intends to kill her son Jacob. So in an effort to save his life, she comes up with a plan based on the strife with her daughters-in-law. She says to Isaac, I can't take any more of this. Do not let Jacob marry a woman from the people around here. Send him to my family for a bride. And so Isaac has agreed to this, and now Jacob has set off. And the best we can tell from the story, he has set off by himself. Now, he's not a child, but neither is he well advanced into life. He's a young man. And he sets off alone in order to find the family of his mother, supposedly for the reason of finding a wife, but in truth, so that he can stay alive. Verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Have you ever had a stone for a pillow in a dark night in a strange place all alone? Was he afraid? Was he despairing? Was he regretful? He certainly was in need. And it is at this moment then that this happens. Verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. 
There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. What an amazing vision to see. Now, I want to break down some of the language here, and I want particularly for you to notice this first part. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. This is a very important concept here, and it's an important concept in the life of every young man and every young woman on this earth. Because as you start out, as a child, you know of God as the God of my parents. And he is taught to you kind of from that context. This is, uh, this is the God we believe in. And the children say, oh, this is the God of my parents. So now God is revealing himself to Jacob. And he says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac. But he's also saying, and I'm ready to be the God of you if you're ready to choose me to be your God. And I believe that this is an event that happens in the life of every young person. It has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, if you never reach that point where, where you have that personal encounter with God, where it's no longer enough for God to be the God of mom and dad, now he's got to become the God of me. It's not enough for, for God to be the God of my Grandpa Glenn and my Dad Gary or my Grandma Blanche and my Mom Rachel. Not enough. There has to come a time in your life where he becomes the God of your life. And this is the moment for Jacob. God reveals himself. And he makes promises, starting in, in verse 13 at the end. He says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. The first part of the promise, this land will be for you. Verse 14, your descendants will be like dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. Your descendants will be many. Next promise. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Now this is one that was hard to understand and often the promises of God are a little hard to understand in our lives. But he's talking about Jesus here. That through your line the Savior of the world will come. Then 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. What he's saying is, I will be near to you always. And then finally, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
God will keep his promise. What do you suppose the impact of this dream was on this scared, lonely, deceiving boy? Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, one of the interesting things here is Jacob's theology needs a little work. But here's how God works. He works with us where we are. And Jacob has had this powerful experience and it has, it has awakened something in him because he was unaware that God was near. Are you bringing that question back on yourself? Are you ever unaware that God is near? This is an issue that David would wrestle with in Psalm 139 when he would talk about where can I go to flee from your spirit? If I, if I go here, you're there. If I go there, you're there. You're there. You're everywhere. Remember the words of Jesus? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you live in that awareness that God is near? Verse 18, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Now, why did he call it Bethel? Well, Bethel in, in Hebrew means house of God. And so he set it up there and he called the place Bethel. And you know what? The people that lived around there, they didn't care what he called it. They kept calling it Luz for a really long time. But this is how it goes with the promises of God. It may not look like it's going where it needs to go. It's ridiculous to call the place Bethel. You're not even in charge here. But one day that place was called Bethel because God kept his promises to Jacob. Here's the thing about the promises of God. Maybe you've learned this. All the promises of God have a right now component. And all the promises of God seem to have a later on component. Sometimes the later on is even after your lifetime. But God keeps his promises. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And what would the saying become? Not just the God of Abraham and Isaac, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this stone, verse 22, that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob's saying, if this is what the Lord has promised me, he will be my God. 
So let me ask you this. What has God promised you? And as you reflect on what God has promised you and on what God has already delivered in your life, the right now part of the promise, not just the yet to be part. When you reflect on what God has promised you and what he has delivered in your life, is it enough that he deserves your praise? Has he earned the right to be your God? It's kind of a funny way to say that, isn't it? One of the interesting things about this story is that dream that Jacob saw and that notion that he had that this, this is the gateway to heaven. It's this ladder. It's right here in this place. One of the interesting things about that is that dream meant so much more than Jacob the deceiver, because that's what that name means, more than he could fully know. But there would be this fascinating moment of revelation that would come later on, and it would come to a man called a true Israelite. Now, you'll remember Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. There would be a greater revelation of what was taking place there, and it takes place in John chapter 1, verse 47. I'll read it to you. It says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Here is a non-Jacob. Isn't that interesting? How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, and we've talked about this before, why do some people just get it? And some of us, it takes so long. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now listen to these two verses. This is amazing. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open." And the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder, but on the Son of Man. You see, the ladder isn't a stairway that went up from a place called Bethel. The link between God and man is Jesus. And he is always with us. The real Bethel, it's not a place where you go to be close to God. Because Jesus is where you go to be close to God. That's why I said, I am the way. Jesus is that ladder that forever connects us to the Father, and because of that, God is near. So I say, take heart, be courageous. I really appreciated the words of Todd Shobatar earlier and the, and the verses that he read to us. 
And I just want to read those to you again. Psalm 16, verse 8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Is he sometimes at our right hand or is he always there? He is always near. Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. God is near. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. To these words, I want to add this admonition. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, it says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. So here's what I want you to take away from this today. First, God is near. Jesus is the ladder that connects us. The Holy Spirit is the means by which Jesus is everywhere. God is near. Second, he has made promises to you. And third, he will have mercy on you. So, here's my appeal to you. Turn to Jesus. Maybe you weren't aware he was near. Now you know. Turn to Jesus. Be saved. Let him be your God. Not the God of mom and dad. Not the God of the church. Not the God of somebody else. You. Let him be your God. And from that, receive courage.